Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Becky. And this is How to Not Get Killed. What's up? You know what we did? Oh, maybe actually his clock is wrong. Never mind. I got all excited. What? We were like, we hit record right at like an even 8 p.m. Oh, no. His is wrong. Yeah. He always has it set ahead a couple minutes because he's one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's not. Yeah, two minutes away. No. So I was about to be like, oh, we're like starting right on the dot. It's so easy to like know how long we're going for. But it's still going to be pretty easy. No, it's going to be complicated. I'm like, I don't know how much this is. Minus two minutes. Minus, I can't figure it out. <laughs> I told you I don't do math. Oh, I know. So that's too much math for I me. I mean, I do it. I just don't do it well. You definitely do it a lot better than I do. I also have a pizza slice here that I'll be eating. Yeah. So if you hear something. I'm, I'm the one that's doing the talking this time. So if so. anyone's like, what the fuck is Becky's going to do her case while <laughs> eating pizza? <laughs> it's good pizza. That's our updates for this week. Oh, my God. It's my birthday this week. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday to me. (laughs) I'm not one of those crazy birthday people, though. I feel like people probably get that impression. Yeah, no, no. Becky just... No. You know. No. Likes a good meal. Uh Nice company. So today... What are we doing today, Haley? Well, today, I mean... Is Wednesday, October 5th. Yes, that's true. And Becky and I will be going to the Friends Experience in Toronto. Yes. And then going to the Cheesecake Factory. Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. (laughs) I am so excited. I'm so excited. I don't even know how else to, like, express it other than just being like, I'm so excited. Because, like, Cheesecake, they also make, like, delicious food. I've told you that. I know. I've never been there. So, They make incredible food. Obviously, their cheesecake Cheesecake is, is, like... Cheesecake is my favorite dessert ever in the mm -hmm. whole entire world. Oh, you're going to shit yourself, like, in the best way possible. I know. Out of excitement, not from, like, stomach cramps or anything. Just, like... Oh, I I thought both. Well, yeah. It's going to be a lot of dairy. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be good. Yeah, Yeah. especially if you get, like, a cream Alfredo for dinner or something. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a slippery slope after there. (laughs) But yeah, I'm so excited for the friends experience. Oh my god, we're gonna do the Barker Lounger thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. it's gonna be good. We're gonna do all of it. Yeah. Ah. I'm, I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna be like a full blown nerd, like a friends nerd there. You know. I, I. I'm sure everyone there will be. Oh my god, should we do like themed outfits? <gasps> Stay tuned, guys. Okay. Stay tuned. There may or may not be a story in our Instagram later today of us wearing themed outfits. Yeah. Oh my god, it's happening. Okay, I want to like write this down. Okay, you start. Just okay. go okay, ahead. We'll go it. ahead. Well, okay, speaking of speaking of birthdays though, okay. I know that mine passed the two months ago. Get two over mo- it. Your birthday's in the past. Two, two months ago now. So <laughs> while we're recording this, like a week ago. A week and a half ago or whatever. Yeah. Um and as some of you obviously know from watching our Instagram story, if you missed it, I don't know, is it highlighted? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I saved it under like something i know i saved it so you can go and look at that but um i got the best birthday gift that i have ever received i mean truly so as all of you know i've been doing this bleeding london series to Mm -hmm. try and bring some awareness to some of the unsolved cases in london some of the solved cases too but just like it's a history of our hometown 
it's really close to home for us. Um, and the two books that I have been really using as like my Bibles during these, yeah. like doing research for these like cases, heavily invested, heavily is um, the Forest City Killer by Vanessa Brown and Murder City by Michael Arntfield. So for my birthday, Becky and my group of friends. I don't, yeah, we don't know if we want if they want their names told all the time. Yeah, we say their names sometimes, yeah. so you can all probably piece them go together. Back, yeah, piece it together. But my amazing friend group got me the new Michael Arnfield book, How to Solve a Cold Case. Mm-hmm. And it's signed with a personal message from mm-hmm. Michael Arnfield. And he spelled her name right. And he spelled my name right. Yeah. Which is amazing. Which is like mind blowing. That's what I was worried about. Honestly, I, I was like guys what if you spelled her name wrong i honestly it wouldn't it wouldn't have changed like the impact yeah. of the gift for me because it still is so special but and i wouldn't have been surprised because everyone <laughs> spells my name wrong even like when people start out spelling my name right they end up spelling it differently they're like anyways. oh i'm just like, gonna throw in an extra like e or h somewhere yeah or it's like h-a-y or something. it's like they forget they forget the i or something like just yeah. or it's just like a different name altogether yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's bob um so yeah you can go on our instagram and our highlights and and see the video of me well there's video of me telling you about it but then uh, becky later posted the video of me opening it and i was like speechless <laughs> yes yes i i do it was, think like the coolest thing in the world to me that like michael arnfield wrote my name yeah and, and like knows about I, you and yeah. like what you do yeah because like it wasn't just like hey here can you quick sign this it was like he knows you he knows me he knows you and he's listening right now. Oh my, imagine. I know. I would honestly, I need to operate under the, like the, like the guys that he is, that in. like he isn't. Cause I'll we'll pretend that he is. isn't. Cause yeah, I, I feel like I'd all of a sudden start changing how I behave dramatically too. Knowing yeah. that someone's so cool. Would be Vanessa like, Brown too. I think I would be so intimidated. I know the bookstore that she owns downtown. Yeah. Like I have, I'm like too have, scared to go. I have in. friends that have gone there. I'm like, I'm too intimidated right now. I need to like, cause I, you don't want to like fangirl and like, I know I'm, like, I'm going to fangirl so hard. Right. Yeah. 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 What if, yeah. What if we like make complete <laughs> fools of ourselves? I know. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're such an embarrassment. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that's anyways, just had to say that. So I will read that book. I'm ex- I'm super excited to read it. I, w- I was actually going to ask if you've cracked it open yet, or if you're just going to put it straight into a glass case or something. Yeah, I know. It's hard. To say. <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, no, I will read it. I will read it. It's just uh, maybe by now you've already finished I have a it. Long, I doubt it. I have a long okay. list of books. Okay. Um, it will be obviously higher up on the list. Yeah. But uh, there's just so many. So do you ever do that where you discover books? You're like, I forgot that I bought all of these eight books. Have you not seen my bookshelf? Yeah. <laughs> this, this is why Drew and I argue, argue over books. It's because I'll be like, I'm going to buy this one. And he's like, you have 47. Yeah. 47 that you have unread. I'll like go and buy so new it, ones and yeah. be like, I'm so excited to read And then I find all these other ones I forgot that I that bought. That are just that fresh like, waiting for you. newly excited to read them. I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah, so no, I'm in the same boat. That's why I just end up being like, well, I'm just not going to read any of them. That way it's fair to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave them there. They can all collect the dust together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're in this together. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So okay. Okay. we're we're back with another installment of the Bleeding London series. Oh yeah, we are. We're working our way through time a little bit here. So time and space. Are we yeah. doing the whole? Yeah, yeah. We're orienting ourselves <laughs> yeah. in time and space. You know what? I do think people need to at some point see the hand gesture because they may, maybe don't understand why we think it's so funny because we always go like the ar- the arms. Yeah. 
<laughs> so like they're probably like, yeah, they're just saying time and space. It's not that funny. But you and me are like, oh, time and space with our yeah. arms. Like, yeah. <laughs> like One day we'll get there. Through the yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. So yeah, working um, my way through time as far as um, the first installments were not really in chronological order as far as like Russell Johnson and mm-hmm. Christian McGee and all that. But those are like the sort of caught serial killers. But as far as like a lot of the unsolved cases and stuff, I've been trying to work somewhat chronologically. Mm-hmm. It feels that way. Yeah. So I believe the first, like we started with like Lynn Harper and Stephen Trustbaugh, which was the fifties and then some of the early sixties murders and stuff. So now we're kind of coming to like the late sixties. Okay. Where things in London really started to ramp up. Okay. Like a lot. This okay. Is, and this this episode I will be covering covering three of the cases. Okay. Um, but yeah, this is kind of like a, the point in time when it starts to get really bad. Okay. So like it wasn't already horrible. I but. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're beginning with uh, Jacqueline Dunleavy. So Jacqueline Dunleavy worked at. Stanley Variety, um, which was a variety store on the corner of Warncliffe and Stanley Street. If you know where that Why is. Why do I know where, exactly where this is? So York turns into Stanley. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Do you know what I'm talking yep. about? It's like that one right behind Horton. You pass yep. Horton and you turn. It's like that little side street. Yeah. So it was right on that corner. Okay. Um, she She's in high school. I'm pretty sure she's... I don't know why I don't have that written down. I'm pretty sure she's 15 or 16. She's, okay. she's pretty young. Aside from selling an assortment of goods, the owner of Stanley Variety, Joe Clark, also had a little side hustle that he ran through his store. Okay, she said that with eyes, you guys. Mm. That was with eyes. For certain customers who obtained the weekly password, who had the money, Joe Clark allowed them to go down into the cellar of his shop and view his collection of home movies, stag films, and fetish porn. Okay. What kind of home movies? Not like his home movies. Like this would be, this is the late 60s, right? So this is okay. like you're acquiring films through some sort of probably black market. Okay. Um, and like, yeah, like some of them, I don't know, like some of them maybe would have been like snuff. Okay. That's, films? that's what I meant by home movies. Like, is it just like it's your a classic fet- porn? It's a fetish porn. So okay. So it's going to be I, hardcore stuff. Like hardcore stuff. I would imagine. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and probably, probably a range. I'm yeah. sure some of it was hardcore and some of it was stag films are like old tiny Hell yeah. like porn like movies like the, the first good stuff. porn movies so they're not like super hardcore but it sounds like he had a variety of may movies. I take your dress off now <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so Joe Clark was this is gonna sound a bit creepier at first <laughs> okay he was known for hiring young teenage girls to work at the front counter of his store okay which is where Jacqueline Dunleavy comes in. Okay. In The Forest City Killer, Vanessa Brown talks about how Joe Clark, I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but I think that he was very, like, a lot of people speculated that he was gay. Okay. And he had been hiring young boys to work at his shop. Okay. So it sounds like he started hiring young girls to kind of, like... Counteract that? Counteract that rumor in a way. Okay. So that's why I'm like... I, I guess it still sounds creepy that he was hiring young boys, but I mean, like, it's a variety store. They're probably hiring young high kids school in students general. anyways. Yeah. But I think that, the, like, I don't think he personally was, like, creeping on Jacqueline or some of these young girls. I think okay. he was hiring them more to kind of divert attention away from him maybe being gay. 
Okay. That's what it kind of sounded like to me. Okay. Is he the creep in this though? No. Well, I mean, we don't know, but okay. no, okay. probably not. Okay. Um, aside from the fact that like he had, he was showing fucking porn movies. Yeah. And, bottom of his shop and having Which, like, do teenage you? girls working upstairs like probably not the best idea yeah and like imagine going up to like clearly like a very underage girl and being like the password's water bottle and then like being like yeah so go down into that cellar <laughs> yeah. there that's where luckily, you'll find <laughs> luckily jacqueline didn't have to be the gatekeeper okay that. okay because no, no, no. i was like no 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 it was like a back door like people would not oh. on the back door of the store i thought it was like you go up to the counter and you're like i'll pack i'll grab a pack of smokes and also no water no, no. Bottle. yeah it was definitely like super low-key like uh, didn't uh, he didn't okay. involve his other workers in that he was the okay. only one that kind of like was the I wonder how he, that you know what I want to know how he got the word out about that because you have to tell at least one person I have no idea I think it's like a word of mouth thing in yeah. in the Forest City Killer Vanessa Brown talks about how like there was a customer that came into her bookstore and he was telling her completely unknowingly like he didn't know she was writing a book about this okay and he was going on about like back in the day like yeah he's like I had a friend who like told me about this yeah. place and he's like we went and like knocked on the door and he was like, what's the password? But the password changed every single week. Okay. And then they and had they, a they didn't even know they had a password. Like they, or they didn't know they needed one. Oh. And they were like, yeah, he didn't let us in. So it's one of these like weird things where it's like, it must've had to have been a word of mouth thing because okay. you had to like then find out the password every week. So he was telling people the password, you know, I, I got to know. Mu- he must've had some sort of like chain of command where it's like, okay, I mm. always tell these three people. These are the password keepers. And then they, you know, yeah, it's very secretive. Uh, yeah, and also like okay, yeah, you know what? Uh, well, let's move on because well, I'm yeah. st- I'm way too stuck on this. I know, I know. I know. I'll, I'll ask my question. It doesn't after. play as big of a role as it might. I d- I'm sure it does. It's just very creepy, of yeah. course. On Tuesday, January 9th, nineteen sixty-eight. Okay. Jacqueline was seen waiting at the bus stop on Beaconsfield Ave, one block south of Stanley Variety. So I looked it up because I was like, "Where the fuck is Beacon- Beaconsfield? Like I- Beaconsfield? I know this area very well." Yeah. So basically, if you're looking at the map and like Stanley's here, south of that is Horton Street. Uh huh. And Warncliffe is the crossroad. Okay. Do you know how there's like that little tiny street that kind of like circles, like it doesn't connect to Warncliffe and it, it doesn't connect to Horton. It's almost like a, it's like almost like part of Old South, but it's just like a little tiny road. Oh my God. I think so. I, I, I have to like look at the map, but yeah. yeah when I, I, when I, I looked at the map, I was like, I know exactly what street this is. And I think it must be. It must connect up to Warncliffe at some point because she was waiting at the bus stop there. Okay. And that would have taken her home. Okay. Um, she waited there, as she usually did after she locked up the store, um, where she worked two to three nights a week. She just worked there part-time. Okay. The last customer was rung through at 6.15, and Jacqueline was seen at the bus stop just shortly after, around 6.30. Okay. Um, waiting to take her for the bus that would take her home on where she lived on Griffith Street in Byron. Okay. So I mapped it. So to drive from Beaconsfield to Griffith Street would be 12 minutes it, because it would go straight down Horton. Yeah. Turn into Springbank uh-huh. and then it turns into Byron Baseline. Yeah. And her street was right off of there. Yeah. So it, it, it wouldn't have been a very, even though, cause I, I was looking at it, I was like, Byron, that sounds really far. No, it's like, but there are honest, certain routes like, that that's just a very direct route. So it would have taken like 12 minutes once she got on the bus mm-hmm. to get there. Um, a witness recognized who, a witness who, who recognized Jacqueline, like apparently that knew her claims to have seen her getting into a white Chrysler station wagon. Okay. 
roughly around this time. So we have a witness that's put her at the bus stop. We also have a witness that says that they saw her getting into a car. Both witnesses, I believe, like knew her. Okay. So they were like, yeah, I saw Jack. It's unmistakable. That's her. Yeah. I think so. Um, but there was, um, like I said, the witness that saw her on at the bus stop. So she would have been waiting for the five Springbank bus home. And later, all of the LTC bus drivers that drove that route were interviewed and none of them saw her get on the bus that night. So we don't... Okay. So she she was seen waiting at the bus stop. She wasn't, wasn't seen getting on, on the, bus. the bus. She was seen getting into a car. Near the bus stop? Yeah. In, okay. Yeah, all in that area. Because it's all within, like, one okay. walk of each other. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, Jacqueline um, had only been working at the store for a few months. She had started there maybe three or four months before. Apparently, numerous customers had made advances towards her. Okay. That had been rejected because, of, obviously, she was young and yeah probably wasn't interested in any of these creepy ass fucking customers well no you're probably just like no i'm a kid and some of the customers that had made advances towards her were regulars of joe's underground layer like seller beer <laughs> whatever you want to call it yeah many of them knew her routine um mm-hmm. as she worked the 3 30 to 6 30 shift regularly two to three times a week okay so it is just something to note to keep in mind yeah yeah by seven o'clock when Jacqueline hadn't returned home like I said I mean if she was supposed to be done work by 6 30 and she'd be home by seven regularly I think she probably would have been getting home just before seven yeah. every night latest 705 or something so by like, seven o'clock I think her parents were like nope something's wrong yeah which is like a really quick response and good on them yeah um and so they started calling everyone to see if they knew where she was. Like they called the store, they called like friends and whatever. Um, they called the bus, like the bus company. Uh, her father was a, a London police officer and he immediately got in his car and started driving the route that she would have taken home. Okay. At 8 PM constable David Smith, a colleague of John Dunleavy okay. was flagged down by three teenage boys on Oxford street West. Okay. The boys said they had planned to go tobogganing at the nearby London Hunt and Country Club. Yep. You know where that is. But had discovered something that the constable should come and investigate. Oh, God. Okay. David Smith radioed to dispatch and then followed the boys to the parking lot of what was then um, a school. I'm not going to say the name of the school because you can imagine what it was called. But it was a school for children um, okay. with intellectual disabilities. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's today, it is um, Matthews Hall. Oh, okay. Private school. Yeah. Yeah. So it would have been right there. Apparently back then, it said in, I think, Forest City Killer, again, or Murder City. One of them said that um, back then, Oxford Street West, like, it dead-ended there. Back then. Okay. Uh, yes. So it didn't go any further. Now it goes much further, yeah. obviously. But that it, it was sort of like a dead end there. Yeah. Which I think is kind of important to note, because I think me and you would be picturing it as a very busy yeah main road that extends further than that it's all obviously all very yeah. developed now i think back it, then it wasn't I'm, am i thinking much. correctly to say like matthews hall is right beside sta i think very close to it yeah i'm pretty sure when i looked it up on the map i think sta was right there i think directly beside it yeah yeah and i do i do remember and i think the hunt club's on the other side of the road i think so yeah so okay yeah yeah okay so once david smith you know, like I said, he radioed for uh, dispatch and then he got in the car and he drove to where they said. He 
once he realized what he was looking at, he told the boys to go back and stay in the car. And he immediately radioed the a police station for, for backup. Okay. Although he didn't know who it was at the time, he was looking at the lifeless body of 16-year-old Jacqueline Dunleavy. This is really quick, too, I have yeah. to say. Like, she finished work at 6.30 and this, this is, is like, quick. 8 p.m. Oh, this is the same night yes. that he's being flagged down? Yes. I thought it was the next day. No. Oh, fuck. Okay, okay. Yeah. This is wow. How fast That's everything happened. fast. I know. I know. That's, like, it's still shocking to me. That's so quick. That's, oh, okay, okay. Okay, she, go on. Um, she was found lying face up with her eyes open and her arms and legs positioned straight down as if she was inside of a coffin. Her okay. face was bloodied and beaten. Oh. Mostly the left side, um, like as if she was in the passenger side of a car. Okay. And there was a scarf tied around her neck that had been used to strangle her. Oh my God, okay. And like I said, um, this officer didn't recognize her because her face was so badly beaten. Beaten, yeah. Um, she apparently had like babysat for David and his wife. So David knew oh. her. Like, aside yeah. from him working with her dad, John like had a relationship he actually with her. knew who she was, yeah. but he didn't recognize her at this yeah. point. Her school bag was found in a snowbank nearby, and her shoes, pantyhose, underwear, um, and some other belongings were strewn around her body. Oh, my God. Her winter coat was also close to her, which was covered in vomit and semen. Oh, my God. No. Nope. Her skirt was pulled up to her hips. And her blouse torn open. Her body had been scratched all over by the perpetrator, but no sexual penetration had taken place. Oh, what? Yeah, I know. I know. It's like, it's weird. It's set up that way that you would assume, but there was no sign of penetration. She had fought back against her attacker, indicated by the blood found under her fingernails. Okay. Sometime after 10.30... Um, as the paramedics were moving Jacqueline's body into the ambulance to be taken to the morgue, they discovered her wallet. So when they pulled out her ID, they realized that she was the daughter of Constable John Dunleavy. Okay. And him and his wife, Emily, who had been looking for their daughter and calling around, um, were notified by authority, authority shortly after. And John went down to St. Joseph's Hospital to ID the body. Oh, that's I always hate that part. That's the worst. Like, I can't I even. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's, it just sounds like such a horrible thing to have to do. Yeah. Um, but basically, so Michael Arnfield always gives a bit of an analysis of some of these crimes. Yes. Right. And, and what we can now deduce from, from things they might not have known back then, but he discusses some of the contradictions that confused the police at the time. Yes. There were clear signs in the snow that Jacqueline's body had been dragged over 54 feet from where the killer would have parked on oxford street okay then he would have had to return to gather her belongings to come back and then throw them about somewhat carelessly yeah but the killer took the time to meticulously pose the body yeah usually posing a body like this would show signs of remorse the killer um would you know be trying to restore some sort of dignity to the victim Mm -hmm. But then he exposed her by pulling up her skirt and opening her blouse. So that kind of contradicts the, like, leaving her with dignity. Yeah. So the posing, he speculates, might actually be more of, like, uh, creating a visual and a larger fantasy for this perpetrator. Okay. As opposed to being, 
result of remorse. Okay. Because we know certain posing can kind of like indicate, um, like playing a role in some sort of like fantasy, fantasy. that yeah. goes on in their head and that helps them relive it for a longer period of time yeah. sometimes. So I think that's what he kind of sees in this scene. Considering there were more secluded areas very close by, the killer chose to leave the body in a well-populated area and somewhat high-traffic area, um, which indicates that they wanted the body to be found relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. What was found later during the autopsy was a small travel pack of pink tissue paper in the back of Jacqueline's throat. A whole package of it. Yeah. So, like, you know those little travel packs? Yeah. Like Kleenex? Pink. Okay. Tissue paper. It was inserted post-mortem or perimortem, meaning, like, either after death or, like, while she was dying. Yeah. Okay. It did not contribute to her death, which means the killer did this for some sort of, like, symbolic purpose. Something. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, Now we're going to get to what we talked about in Hillside Stranglers. Okay. About holdback evidence. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So Michael Arnfield discusses the value of holdback evidence, oh, which yeah. we we know today is very valuable. Extremely, yeah. Um, basically, hold holdback evidence for people who don't know is when you take a piece of evidence that's not released to the public and you, you keep it, you hold it back from the media so that it can be used later to prove like someone actually committed a crime through their confession. It's supposed to prevent false confessions mm-hmm. and also be used to like convict someone. Yeah. Because like if you're the only person that knows, for example, that you put a piece that you put a package yes. of pink tissue paper in the back of someone's throat. Exactly. Then that's evidence against you. Mm-hmm. And again, it sort of like solidifies that like yeah. this is the person we're looking that for. Absolutely did this. It's just like the almost like the ultimate proof. Yeah. Yeah. So it's also important to not release every detail of a crime, which again, they wouldn't have really known or been considering this back then, but to also prevent copycat killers. Yes. So the pink tissue paper, basically Michael Arnfield saying should have been that evidence that they held back from, from the press. Yeah. Not, not releasing it. Mm Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it was openly given to the press, and it was printed in a two-page spread in the London Free Press the next day. Of course it was. On top of this, Superintendent Jeffrey of the London Police Force, with no evidence or expertise in the matter, made the public statement that this crime was committed by a, quote, healthy male due to the controlled and methodical crime scene. But he said, because perverts destroy so, okay. <laughs> he basically said that this crime could not have been committed by like your run of the mill pervert because it was too methodical and controlled. Okay. So, Michael Arnfield kind of says in his book that this basically says to like all the people watching who have similar fantasy fantasies and tendencies and like thoughts running through their head that Jacqueline's killer was a healthy normal man. Yeah. That's kind of what you're, that's kind of what the superintendent is saying to them. That it's like, oh, if I think about this or I did this, well, I'm a healthy male. I'm not a pervert. Yeah. Because he was organized in it. Yeah. 
which is so infuriating it's when so, you think about it. It's like, I, I think it's just one of those things. I, you know what? When we, I don't know, I feel like we grew up with the word pervert being like, oh, you fucking pervert. You yeah. know, like almost oh, yeah. as like a funny insult. And I think back then it was definitely used more as like a, like a, a label. Yes. For a particular kind of person. Yeah. But I think those, those types of people were very much put in a box. It's yeah. Kind of like, oh, if you operate outside of that box, you're a pervert. <laughs> well, th- you're not a pervert. It's like you're a pervert if you are. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Perverts only behave in this way. Yes. I think that's kind of what it was. Is that it's sort of like you're that pervert that's like running out and like flashing people on the street, yes. or like peeping Tom pervert, and everything like, else know? is normal. Yeah. And it's sort of like people don't. I think back then because we didn't know as much about these perpetrators, weren't making connections between that like pervert behavior and yeah. like killing people. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think that people thought of perverts as almost like, in a weird way, like harmless. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I think I see what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Where it's just like, oh, that's just like Billy the Flasher. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll get to, there's like later I'll talk about, it kind of reinforces that idea, I guess, is why I'm speculating about this. So a couple of months after Jacqueline's murder, um, or sorry, in the couple of months after she was murdered, police went into like full force, um, because obviously this was like a police officer's daughter. Yeah. And so it's going to be even higher of priority than it's it already a high was. high priority. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. They actually had a couple of decent leads as well. Um, as the secrets about Stanley Variety started to come to life, Ooh. Joe Clark put the store for sale and quickly skipped town. Okay, that's... Hella suspicious. That's pretty suspicious. Um, but I'd also probably do the same thing if I had, like, a sex dungeon and, like, I'm one of thinking, my staff. Yeah, I'm thinking that it was probably more because he's, like, people are going to find out about, like, the porn stuff. And, and I'm going to be labeled. And I'm going to be in trouble, so I'll just leave. I don't yeah. I don't necessarily think it's because he killed Jacqueline. There's, it, it, does, it doesn't help his case, but I, I, for some reason, also don't think that. I don't know why. I'm also pretty sure... I read somewhere in, I don't think it was in murders. It could have been in Forest City Killer. It could have been somewhere else that like when her mom call was calling around that she called the store and he was like, no, she left at 630. Okay. So it's like, if he was still at the store, I feel like that pretty much exonerates him because like the times, the time, so the timeline is close so together. Tight. Yeah. So I don't know. But like I said, I think he definitely probably skipped town because of this whole like porn seller thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's, it means he knows something about Jacqueline. He could, but I don't know if that's definitive. Yeah. It could just be like a preemptive, like, I need to not be the town weirdo now. So, (laughs) yeah. Some of the suspects included um, a middle-aged man who was married to a 16-year-old girl. Oh. Oh. And was known to be um, violent when he drank. These are all people that came into the store. Okay. Another was a man who drove 45 minutes from Strathroy just to shop at Stanley Variety on Tuesday and Thursday nights. Which is when Jacqueline was working. Ew. Gross. Ew. This same man also had a history of exhibitionism. Ugh. So the town flasher. And we do know that um, the connection between exhibitionism and, like, killing and disposing of bodies outside, which We've talked about, yeah. Um, Another was a morgue attendant who, just a few months earlier, had been accused of trying to force a teenage girl into his car at the same bus stop where Jacqueline was last seen. Okay. There's okay, like that's a lot weird. Of, I know, there's like a lot of strong leads here. All of these guys sound like they could fucking be it. Yeah. Um, another regular of Stanley Variety. This is 
so horrifying. Oh my God. It was a young man who had access to a car and had spent four years in reform school. We've talked about those. We have (laughs) starting in 1962 um, for hanging a seven year old girl and masturbating while he watched her die. Ew. He was, I believe, I don't have it written down. I think he was 14 at the time. Okay, so. He was was a child himself. That's why he was in reform school. Went to reform school. Okay. Um, He, his probation worker had written in his file that he was a dangerous sadist with uncontrollable violent fantasies and recommended that he remain in custody indefinitely. But at 18 years old, his record was wiped and he was released. So when someone's recommended to be like basically in holding indefinitely, don't wipe their record and release them. And that's the thing with juveniles. I know. Is that like, it's always, no matter what you do, pretty much you're, you're just going to get out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Uh, okay. These are, these are all of the suspects in the case so far. So there's some pretty good leads. One of the biggest pieces of evidence found at the Dunleavy scene mm-hmm. was the tire tracks from the killer's car. Okay. So the three boys that discovered her and the police officer that they notified had all kind of like trampled over the footprints. So they yeah. couldn't obviously get those, but they luckily did not get anywhere near the tire tracks. So they had clear pictures and, like, layouts yeah. of, of the tire tracks of the killer's car. Mixed with the, like, witness that saw the van. Yeah. So, the upon review from the forensic team and getting input from multiple mechanics independently, it was unanimously declared that the car driven by Jacqueline's killer had one of the worst alignment problems any of the mechanics had ever seen. Like, they were like, I don't even know how this car is being driven. Interesting. Um, What an interesting thing to be like, oh, by the way, the alignment's like way the fuck off. It gets weirder. Okay. On top of it, it had four completely different tires. Oh. In terms of make, model, and tread depth. And none of them were winter tires. Oh, well, that's just stupid. Right? Like, how bizarre is that? Yeah. Four different tires. And not even one of them being a winter tire in winter. In the middle of winter in Canada. Like, it was it was snowing that night as well. Yeah. Yeah. Four completely different tires. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm developing my own theories. Okay, go on. They, yeah. The, so, the, the mechanics were like, I don't even know how he was able to drive it at all, especially mm-hmm. in the snow. No one. Okay, and first of all. It, like, on the road. No wonder the alignment was so off. Like, no wonder four different tires. No fucking shit. Yeah. Like, I know nothing about cars, but I can already tell you, that's no good. Well, and I (laughs) I think they had somehow determined that, like, it was off regardless. Like, it's, it's, they made it sound like on top of it, there was four completely different tires, and, but it had one of the worst alignment issues ever. And, like, (laughs) what was it? Like, a, it sounded like it was being fucking held, yeah, held together (laughs) by strings or something. Basically, yeah, everything, with wheels in and around Jackie's home, work, and school was checked for mismatched tires and alignment issues. Like, they searched car garages, driveways, parking lots. They even stopped people on the road and just pulled them out and, like, checked their car. You know what? they were yeah. like, if we find this car, we found our guy. Mm-hmm. So, I, I get it. Like, oh, yeah, I'd probably, be, like... I'd be, like, walking we're around. We're so like, close, you know? Um, the police, yeah, they divided and conquered by the end of it. I'm sure they had felt like they had checked every car in the damn city. They probably did. But they they found nothing. (sighs) 
Did and they check the creepo from 45 minutes out of town? I, I'm sure they looked into okay. it. Okay. Because those were all their leads, right? So maybe maybe they all had alibis. Okay, okay, okay. I don't know. As the leads faded and no new ones came up, Jacqueline's case, surprisingly, considering, again, she was a cop's daughter, just became another one in the pile, overshadowed by many more to come. Okay. So February 9th, 1968, exactly one month after Jacqueline Dunleavy's murder, Okay. nine-year-old Frankie Jensen set out from his home shortly after 8 a.m. to walk his usual route to Westdale Elementary School. Okay. Frankie lived um, about two kilometers, which is just over a mile for any of our American listeners. Okay. From where Jacqueline's body was found. Okay. So very close. In that same area, kind of like West. Almost Byron. Yeah. 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 Uh, frankly, if, Frankie was, <laughs> frankly, <laughs> Frankie was one of five children living at home with his parents and his older sister who usually walked with him to school was running late this particular morning. So, oh, no. yeah. Okay. So Frankie was on his own. Okay. He waved goodbye to his parents and he set out on his walk to school. The distance to his school was around one kilometer. I'm keeping my kids if I ever have any chained up inside I know they're never leaving and this is like the 60s right like it was like you're nine years old you can totally watch school on your own no but now you stay in a bubble in the house no leaving well in before City Killer Vanessa Brown talks about how after Jacqueline Dunleavy's murder and some of the other murders that have been happening in the city and stuff like that people were actually pretty nervous okay and she says that like from the people she interviewed she said that on Frankie's street, like in his neighborhood, the kids that would walk to school kind of like created a little walking group. Like a buddy system. So like almost. one would leave from the furthest house and then meet the next one and then they would meet the third okay. one and then they'd all walk together. Okay, that's smart. And apparently, um, because Frankie was like running late, like they waited outside of his house, but he didn't come out. And I guess he had gone home sick from school the day before. Oh, so they were probably like, is so that like, coming? And I guess they went and his, one of his friends like waited for him, but then he didn't come out and he was like, okay, well maybe he's sick again. And he just left. Okay. So that's, okay. so that's what I read in the forest city killer. So it sounds like there was a couple, either he was supposed to walk with his sibling or this walking group, but yeah. neither worked out and he was on his own. Okay. Okay. So I at least feel better knowing that there were like some kind of measures in place for, yeah, I know that kind of made me feel better as well. As far as like parents that are like, Hey, yeah, we, we should try and do something, like, yeah. you know, about this or like, we are worried. Cause like yeah. I, sometimes I read some of these things. I'm like, people were just oblivious to this. Like, yeah. They just didn't even care that. Yeah, like, how did they not know kids were getting murdered like, in their city? Like, oh my yeah. God. yeah. Yeah. So the distance to school, like I said, was around one kilometer. So a little over half a mile, the distance could be shortened though. Slightly by no, a, shortcut. a shortcut. No, no shortcuts. I never always shortcuts. a fucking shortcut, man. No, and they are not shortcuts. And it's through the woods. Yeah, though that's that's every horror movie. Yeah. So apparently, if you went through this undeveloped, like wooded area, it would lead you right to the school, and it would cut about like you know three or four minutes off of the walk. There were, and this is what I mean about the perverts thing. There were some incidents that had occurred in this wooded area within the months, like, within a year before, but, like, within the okay. few months, kind of, before this happened, a number of students, like, this wasn't just one time. There was, like, multiple reports about okay. weird things happening in this, like, in the woods, like, because a lot of these kids took this yeah. to school. It wasn't just Frankie. Okay. Um, 
that there was like strange men that would jump out from behind the trees. Ew, what the fuck? And like the bushes and stuff. Like there was men like hiding in the bushes. Okay. There was one that said that a man with a club jumped out and swung at a boy and he chased them all the way up to the school doors. I would be diarrheal. Yeah. Like, yeah. One kid went in and he crouched behind a bush because he was waiting for his friends and he was going to jump out and scare them. No, what Classic, the fuck? right? Yeah. Um, and he heard a noise behind him and turned around and saw a pale, dark-haired man in a green jacket crouching behind him. I would fucking throw up. That's actually horrifying. Like that's, isn't that so scary? What is with these fucking woods? Yeah. Oh. So many school cho- children also found pornographic magazines strewn about the woods. <laughs> Like, think, there was just so much, like, when we look at it now, it's like, this is so obvious what's yeah. going on here. But they told their school principal. Oh, no. Mr. Pickles. Fuck off. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that at That's all. a real name. Okay, I thought you were about to be like, and he didn't care. So that's why I was like, oh, no. So oh, yeah, no, no. Mr. Pickles didn't give a fuck. But his Mr. name is Mr. Pickles. Pickles. I this mean, is a joke. This is, yeah. Mr. fucking Pickles. So they told him, and apparently he just dismissed them either as lies or acts of harmless strangers in the area. Harmless strangers hiding in the forests, chasing children with clubs. This is what I mean, though. I think people truly thought perverts were perverts, and they just flash their things at little boys or fucking chase them through the woods, but didn't really do anything with them. And it's like... What did Ew. you think they were trying to do? What was well, their, what do you think they're like, do you was? think like, like, are you sitting there thinking, oh, they're just playing a joke? Because if that's what your thought is, that's a bad joke. There were some, a lot of things that I read that said that some people thought these men were harmless because of the, the school yeah, okay. nearby. Yes. But that you know what? Had a lot of you know, like that educated a lot of people with intellectual disabilities. Sure. But the thing is, yeah, is that one, just because people are attending that school doesn't mean that they're allowed to just run around free all day, every day and hide in the woods, especially not the sexually deviant ones. No. And that's the thing is that if they were doing this and they were all from this school, they're displaying sexually deviant behavior. So it doesn't make it harmless just because you think you know where they came from. Yeah. It doesn't excuse it because like you and I have both worked in this particular field. Yeah. This would not fly. No, no, it would never, it oh would, my never, God, it would never be like, Oh yeah, that's okay. Because that's just John. Yeah. Like, it's just so-and-so and they're just, yeah, no. they just hang on wherever they want. No, it's, no. it's like, no, there, there are also people that, want to are, live to a certain degree of like respectability and they aren't and just they're accountable for their actions. Yeah. Like, like they know that. Especially when, it, when they are adults. Like yeah. they, they know that there is responsibilities. Like it's not just like a write off. I yeah. don't know. It, yeah. That's so it is just extremely frustrating because yeah. maybe if some of these reports had actually been taken seriously, there would have been more, I don't know, vigilance or yeah. attention on this particular route to school oh or the God. area. But um, I would be, like, so scared to go in that forest. I, I know. Okay. okay. On the morning of February 9th, Frankie never showed up for school. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. Um, and no one at the school reported him missing. No. Okay. And, again, I mean, I can only attribute this to the fact that it's, like, 1968. He was sick the day before, and maybe they were, like, he's just sick today, yeah, too. Yeah, like, I guess. Yeah, I don't sure. know if it was as diligent as, like, 
when we went to school, where it's like your parent had to call in. Oh yeah. You know, but even then just we, like we still us. had a phase where that wasn't really as intense as it was until like later on in our schooling. Yeah. Like oh, it oh, really wasn't sure. like, sure. cause there'd be times where like my brother and I would be like super late. Cause like we would walk to school and we would just like fuck around on the way there. Mm-hmm. And like, sometimes they wouldn't call. Yeah. No, for sure. They so would, just, would like give you some time or whatever. But I mean, like he didn't show up all day. Yeah. So I don't know. But, um, apparently he was also having trouble at school with bullies. Okay. And he'd even begged his parents to let him stay home that day. Oh my God. No. <laughs> so some people at the school might've just assumed that he like ditched school because he just didn't want to face his bullies. Oh my God. I Fuck it. Um, it wasn't until Frankie didn't come home after school that, that was raised. Um, his parents realized he was missing and they called the police. So the police gathered forces and local volunteers and began combing the Hyde Park woods where Frankie may have cut in to get to school. Okay. At this time of year, and in this particular year, the temperature was dropping around negative 40 degrees at night. (gasps) Oh my God. Yeah. That's crisp. Really, really cold. That's fucking cold. Even during... Like even um, for Canada, that's just like really cold. It's cold, cold. yeah. Even during the daylight, the police um, and like volunteers had to search the area in 15 minute shifts because it was so cold. Yeah. Like on their skin. Yeah. So... That sounds about right. By the next... And they had to stop once it got dark because it was just so fucking cold. Oh my God, yeah. By the next morning, the police were turning away volunteers because they had over 200 citizens and 60 officers searching the entire area where Frankie lived and went to school. Okay. The police somehow were not including foul play in the possibilities at this point. Even in the forest where all of these people are like, ah. And remember, the police didn't have reports from that. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Too, right? I mean, they probably would have started to hear about some of these things, but, like, the know. school wasn't reporting them because Mr. Pickles didn't care. No, and if they were reporting it, it was, like, very, like, oh, the kids said they saw this. Like. Yeah, or he was just, like, thinking they were exaggerating. But they were also realizing that Frankie likely wouldn't have survived the night in negative 40-degree weather I on his own. Yeah. Okay. So they're kind of like, oh, no foul play. Like, they thought he just ran away. But then the next day, they're also probably considering, like... We're looking for a body. Yeah. Like, it's possible. Or he's with someone. Yeah. During the coming weeks, the police followed up on every lead and tip they received. um, Because they did get tips. And, like, we do know that sometimes, like, people with good intentions might just be, like, calling in because they're like, I saw a little boy with blonde hair. Yeah. At this place. Yeah. So, like, there were reports of people seeing him all over the city. Of course. Because they were just thinking, like, it might help. It might have, it might have actually been him. It might not. Yeah. But the police were following up on every lead anyways. Um, they, uh, okay. So, as the days and the weeks went on, the reality that Frankie's disappearance had had to have involved foul play was kind of, like, becoming the popular opinion. Yeah. That's, yeah, Frankie's, yeah, Frankie's um, parents received anonymous phone calls in those weeks. Even one of them was asking for ransom. Oh, no. And the police assured them that these were crank calls. I mean, it's possible. We do know that that's happened. We do know that. (laughs) The one asking for ransom probably was, just considering, like, the chain it, of events. Honestly, like the one asking for a ransom could have very well just been like teenagers thinking yeah, it's absolutely. funny because that, that, but one of the other ones very well could have been. Yes. Like the real perpetrator. Yeah. Cause we, we, we know, know that also happens. Like, 
and there and there is somewhat of a pattern of that in some of these cases. Okay. Not in the rest of this episode, but like okay. we will just hear that later on. Um, because we do know that sometimes like these fuckers like to twist the knife. Like they're sick, right? Yeah. So sometimes like, it is about torture and killing control someone and, and then calling their parents and t- or their family and taunting them after. Like they get off on it. Yeah. So it's not uncommon. No. By February 14th, so we're two five he went missing oh, on the ninth. We're yeah. five days. Okay, sorry, yeah. Um the case was being investigated as a suspected homicide. Okay. With Jacqueline a month before and now Frankie. Parents of young children, teenagers, were getting worried. Yeah. This is actually what sparked the establishment of the first block parent program in Canada. Oh, interesting. So okay. the first block parent branch was yeah. in London, Ontario. Wow. In Canada. It was being used in the States already. Okay. I wasn't sure where it originated. Okay. It, yeah. I think it originated in the States. I don't know if they adopted it from somewhere else, but it was already happening in the States. So then people in London caught wind of it and heard about like this thing that they were doing yeah. in the States. And they established a, a branch in London. So they began screening applicants um, by the summer of 1968. So the summer after this happened with Jacqueline and Frankie um, and, and establishing block parent homes. As, okay. we, as we know, there are still block parents. I was even going to say if this is still a thing or not, because I remember there being this like period in time where, and maybe this is just like imaginary or something, but I remember there being like a period in time where like, it was all of a sudden like, don't go to block parent like it might be this because i think there's um there was like a phase where people were printing fake signs or something yeah and i think there's a couple of cases where like a block parent was not a block parent yes you that's what, what i mean where it was just like a where they weren't to being be, like, screened properly yeah. or whatever yeah or, like said, or it was, it was just or it was just signs. like folklore where like yeah some kid was just like oh that's actually the killer yeah. on the street and it's like okay but i think yeah, but, but yeah, basically, from what I read at this time, the people that were volunteering yes. for this were like stay-at-home moms and like retirees. Good intentioned people for the most absolutely part. for yeah for the most part. <laughs> Originally, police thought Frank Frankie had run off like playing hockey from school because he was scared of his bullies. But now looking at um, at it as an abduction or, or homicide, the police were starting to think that someone could have been waiting for Frankie. Okay, someone who would have known his routine his regular route to school and would be close enough to seize an opportunity when realizing that he was walking to school alone that day because that, okay. he didn't walk to school alone. No, day. it wasn't. No, he was either with his, his sibling Sis- or with the group, the group. Yeah. So there was a witness who said they had seen a man sitting in a car at the spot where Frankie and other students would leave the road to uh, go onto the path through the forest. So right at that point where you would have to cut into the forest Someone saw a car there on February 9th. Okay. At the time, they just saw a car and they were like, didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Then later, when they realized Frankie was missing, they called and said, like, I did see a car there. Oh, yeah. Because, um, like, sometimes, like, facts like that don't hit you until later anyway. No, I would never think about it until then later being like, like, if, like, my neighbor or something got murdered and then it's like, oh, I saw a car parked yeah. on the street. Which, like, there's always cars parked on my always. street. Always. But I guess I'd, you'd think back and be like, I don't oh, usually see. Oh, secondhand, yeah, a like rusty old whatever might be like alarming so when they were asked they said they couldn't describe the man or what he looked like that was sitting in the car but when they were asked to describe the car they said it was a white sedan okay so just yeah remember that 
Well, that sounds a lot like the white. Well, there was a white Chrysler station wagon. That's okay. I thought they saw Jacqueline get into. Yeah. So okay, okay. I, d- I don't know. Like sedan just means it has four doors, right? I th- that's what I thought. Okay, so then the, a station wagon would definitely be a sedan. Technically, but I think a, I think a station wagon. I'm doing air quotes. Air quotes. I feel like it's more larger. That's than a what sedan. I mean. So I don't know if like. Whereas if, like, if they had seen a white station wagon, I feel like they would have said they saw a white station wagon, but they just, maybe they were like, it was a white car. Okay. Yeah. Cause like your memory would just be like, it was white. I know that. And it had four tires. Like, yeah, it's a car. It's a vehicle, but okay. it was white. They were both of these cars were white. So that is something to know. Uh, let's also remember that Frankie and Jacqueline were only a month apart from each other. Like almost to the day to, to the, to the day actually, I think. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Jacqueline was January 9th and Frankie was February 9th. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's also very suspicious, but yeah, it is a bit weird. It's yeah, weird coincidence there. Um, the pol- London Police Department was really burning the candle at both ends at this point because Jacqueline was January 9th. Frankie was February 9th. So like when Frankie went missing, they were already like in the thick of the investigation yeah. for Jacqueline. So and if they are thinking like, okay, if this is going to be like a new monthly thing, if that was anybody's thought at all, they're like, now we have until March 8th to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's where my mind would go. Well, and also Jacqueline's body was found almost immediately, but Frankie seemed, seemed to have like vanished into thin air. Yeah. So they're also probably expecting, maybe expecting a body to show up at some point. Yeah. Okay. We're going to jump a little bit ahead to Easter break or spring break of that year. So over a month and a half after Frankie had gone missing, about two and a half months after Jacqueline's murder. Okay. 16-year-old Scott Leishman left his home located in West Missouri, which is about 15 minutes outside of London. It's like northeast of London. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very, very close to Thorndale. Yes. I was just going to say, because there's like Missouri Road. Yeah. So he lived in West Missouri. Technically, he was headed to the town of Thorndale which is just about 30 minutes outside of London, on the afternoon of March 21st. He was uh, planning on going fishing because this was his spring break, his Easter break. Um, So that's what he was doing for the day. His usual method of travel, which wasn't unusual for the time, was hitchhiking. Yep. A witness saw Scott around 4 p.m. with his fishing rod and tackle box getting into a car, a white sedan. (laughs) Okay. Scott Stanley began calling around before eventually reporting him missing to the police. How old is Scott again? 16. 16. Okay. Sorry, go on. Scott was a well-liked outdoorsy kid and his family was certain that he wouldn't just wander off or run away. Um, Because Scott lived in a rural area and not in the urban areas of London, this became an OPP case. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it landed on the desk of none other than Dennis Elsop. Yes. Which I have mentioned. Whom we love. Many times. Many times. We're fans. Oh, we're, we're big fans. Your next book will be signed by him from he's, the graves. <laughs> no, but he's going to come back. and From the grave. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's if right. he wants to come to me as a ghost. Like, oh, yeah, that's an apparition I totally invite in here. Yeah, for sure. At this point in time, Dennis Alsop was still investigating, just to orient ourselves yes. in space and time, he was still investigating Glenda Tedball. Oh, yeah. Remember? Yeah. And Georgia Jackson oh, in Elmer. He's got his hands full. Because that one wasn't, um, yeah. David Bodemer didn't confess until 1970. Oh, my God. Yeah. Or no, 1975. Okay. I'm getting that right? No, like something. It was yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. 
because Georgia Jackson would have, it was, she was, yeah, she was 1966. So it was like 70 or 71 when okay. Baltimore confessed. So he was still investigating these cases Man, at this time. He must have been busy. Yes, he was. Yeah. And oh. we'll come to learn that he even like started investigating cases that weren't even assigned to him because he thought some of them he's were connected. He's such a good person. Like, like he's crap. the G of all <laughs> G's. Like straight up. Um, so neither, yeah, neither of those cases had been solved at this point. He had also apparently always had his eye on the Lynn Harper murder. Because okay. if you remember when yeah. I did that case, he was like a young, like, like early police Up officer coming, yeah. at the time. And something about that case had just never sat right with him. Obviously, yeah. rightfully so, because Stephen Trescott was eventually exonerated. Yeah. So this just goes to show Dennis's like keen eye for like, these yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Like on the afternoon of April 12th, 1968. So that would have been good Friday of that year. Um, over two months after. Yeah. Over two months after he had gone missing. Two people canoeing down the river discovered the body of nine-year-old Frankie Jensen oh in the God. Thames River. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so yeah, he went missing February 9th. He was discovered April 12th. The area where his body was found was right at the point where the Thames enters the town of West Missouri. Okay. Just over two kilometers or one mile from where Scott lived. Okay. So that's important to note. Just very, very close proximity. So if you remember, Jacqueline was dumped two yeah. kilometers from Frankie's house. Yeah. And Frankie is now dumped two, two kilometers. kilometers from Scott's house. Okay. 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 So. Okay. The spring thawed out the snow and ice from the very, it sounds like bitterly cold winter. It sounded rough. And revealed Frankie laying face down in the water, wearing his button up shirt and undershirt, his winter coat, lunchbox and part of his thermos his lunchbox. I know were all found in the waters between the location of the body and a bridge that ran over the river about four kilometers down okay his shoes were never found um this is so sad I was like no I didn't even know if I wanted to include this or not but oh god Frankie's older brother Karsten told the London Free Press that Frankie was terrified of the river and that his worst fear in the world was drowning. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know, that makes me so sad. Fuck, that's brutal. Oh, my God. And he's just a little boy. I know, he's nine. Like, like he's a so literal baby. Little. That's a baby. Frankie's body had been snagged on a branch in the water. And if this had not happened, the current likely would have taken him all the way out to Lake St. Clair. And he, he might have never been found at all. So it looks like the bridge that was four kilometers down, what they were piecing together was the the killer had tossed Frankie's body into the river over the bridge, okay. hoping that the current would take just him didn't. out into like a larger body of water yeah. and just never be found. Okay. But it got snagged on a branch and they, Thank goodness. they thankfully found him. Yeah. Um, upon removing his body from the water, police discovered um, his pants underneath the same branch that his body had gotten caught on. Dennis Alsop was on the scene pretty quickly. Um, it, Frankie wasn't his case, but he was on his way to West Missouri to continue his investigation into Scott Leishman's disappearance. Okay. So he was on his way there, and then he probably heard it on dispatch and or got like, a call and I'm was like, it. I'm going to go. 
Investigators were suggesting that since the rest of Frankie's belongings were found scattered throughout the river, that he likely went into the water with his pants on and they somehow came off around the time he got caught on the branch. Okay. From like the current. Yep. Okay. Dennis, um, who was now realizing that since Frankie was found in OPP territory, that the Jensen file would also become his. Okay. Because I guess where the body is found changes the jurisdiction. I'm, I'm assuming. I think so. Yeah. That's what ended up happening. So, um, Dennis was basically on his way to investigate Scott Leishman. Mm -hmm. And then they discovered the body of Frankie Jensen. So he's thinking, I guess from his notes that, um, preemptively, this is my area. Like, well, he's thinking that like Scott could be, I could be finding Scott in the same way that we just found Frankie. Yeah. So the autopsy on Frankie's body couldn't easily determine a cause of death considering the time that had passed yeah. and the body, you know, being dumped and left in the water and then snow and ice and all that. It had been over two The months. elements would just take control at that point. Yeah. What was obvious was that Frankie had suffered a blow to the head, a blow that could have killed him, but at the very least would have knocked him unconscious. Oh my God. Okay. Like Jacqueline's case, there was no obvious signs of sexual assault. But that wasn't the only thing that these two cases had in common. Oh, no. Is it the, is it the tissue paper? Found in the back of Frankie's throat okay. was a wad of pink facial tissue paper. Interesting. Seemingly identical to the tissue found in a cellophane pack in Jacqueline's mouth. But it was also leaked to the public, too. It was. So, okay, okay, okay. So, the police very quickly jumped to the conclusion that this was the same killer okay a very different victimology though mm -hmm. very different so they were basing this off of just these, these are the similarities they found they were basing this off of the lack of invasion of sexual the lack of invasive sexual assaults the scattering of clothing and belongings at the dump sites okay and obviously the pink kleenex yeah and maybe the their, time proximity of like when they went missing etc and yeah yeah dennis wasn't convinced though mm -hmm. he seemed to have been the only one at this point that wasn't like immediately like oh pink tissue paper at both things same like thing. same yeah. person um because he basically he not that hold back evidence was a thing at that point but he had he lived in london like he was an opp officer but he lived in london so he read the the newspapers he knew what the police had told the press yeah so he knew all of those details were in the press which like means anybody said, else knew any like, average person common sense even if you don't know what holdback evidence is even if you don't know what a copycat killer is yeah common sense dictates that any person could have read that article and been like i'm gonna go out and do the exact same thing to somebody else or like at the that or just like a completely separate killer with like no intentions of leaving any kind of like signature would then come commit their completely separate crime and be like, you know what? I might actually be able to make this look like somebody else. That's well, yeah, that, I mean, that's what I mean. Yeah. Right? Is that they would have like, they could have read that and been like, Ooh, I can go out and murder someone now. And then I'll just plant this pink tissue paper. And then they'll think it was the other guy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So just throw it like an easy way to throw the police off or yeah. to make connections where there aren't any. Yeah. So Dennis, um, yeah, be, he he knew the details of Jacqueline Dunleavy's case mm -hmm. because although it wasn't an OPP case, when he had heard about it, he had picked up the phone and called to ask for the details because it had reminded him of a case he was working on, the Georgia Jackson case. Mm -hmm. 
which has a lot more similarities to the Jacqueline Dunleavy case than yeah, actually than Frankie Jensen. Yeah. So that's this okay. is the way he's thinking, right? So okay. when comparing the Dunleavy and Jensen cases, the victims were different genders, different ages. Jacqueline was taken at night near her work and strangled, and then was left somewhere where she could be discovered very quickly. Yeah. Frankie was taken in broad daylight near his home and school, was beaten and dumped over the bridge into a river that could have carried him hours away. So obviously the perpetrator didn't want his body to be found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those are pretty big those are huge differences, differences. yeah. Like the the mo, but the thing that they're connecting obviously is the signature, signature, which yeah. they didn't know what a signature was back then. But that's really the only thing. What's interesting, obviously, though, is the proximity. Like you said, Jacqueline's body was left right around the corner from where Frankie was taken. Mm-hmm. So there are some some similarities. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of differences. Regardless, the public panic. Could not be stifled. No. As soon as this detail came out, the, quote, tissue slayer was a household name. Oh, yeah. Right? It had already kind of been anyways because of Jacqueline's. Because, like, even when you have a singular victim where something like that happens, it's such an odd detail. Yeah. That once it was released to the public, you get stuck on it. Tissue paper, it was the tissue slayer. You get stuck on these details that, like, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Dennis was basically really the only one who didn't believe that the two cases were connected, feeling very strongly that Frankie's killer was a copycat who had successfully convinced the police that if they found Jacqueline's killer, they'd find Frankie's too, because it was the same killer. Mm-hmm. On the afternoon of May 21st, so we're about a month and a half on from May 21st, found... that's Oscar's birthday. Is it? Happy birthday, Oscar. Sorry about this, Oscar. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Bye, um, buddy. <laughs> I know, that's what I <laughs> Hope you find your dad. Hope you find your dad. <laughs> um, so when did they find Frankie? I think it was April 12th. 12th, yeah. Another birthday we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my. <laughs> so, so May 21st, so we're about a month and a half on, the body of Scott Leishman was found in Port Burwell, about an oh. hour away from where... Isn't Port Burwell, like, pretty far? It's about an hour away. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, from where he was seen getting into a white sedan, I think. I'll come back to that. Okay. Okay. Dennis Alsop found some significantly more concrete connections between Frankie and Scott than he had between Jacqueline and Frankie. Yeah. So it should be noted that although Scott was seven years older than Frankie, he was 16, um... He looked very young for his age. Okay. More like an elementary schooler than a high schooler. Okay. Yeah. So, well, we even had a few friends who didn't, like, blossom into their teenage boy bodies until, like, grade yeah. 11. And, and that's what I mean. I <laughs> yeah. think it should be noted as far as, like, oh, well, they're very different in ages. But, like, if Scott looked really young for his age, then, like, Frankie was 9 and Scott this looked attacker like he was could have been 13. Like, that's not very far off. Yeah. They would have been like, oh, that must be, like, a 9 or 10-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. It appeared that um, Scott had been thrown from a bridge into Big Otter Creek with the seeming intentions, like Frankie, being that the current would carry the body into a larger body of water, this time being Lake Erie. Okay. But Scott's body had ended up ended up being trapped in the inner harbor at Fort Burwell and washed up on the shore. Okay. His watch and one of his shoes were never recovered. A search of the surrounding waters and Big Otter Creek 
um, actually didn't turn up any of Scott's belongings. Considering Scott's body was a bit better preserved than Frankie's was, it could be determined that Scott was definitely still alive when he was thrown over the bridge into the water. Mm. He had either been strangled or suffocated, rendering him unconscious, and then was thrown into the water and Jeez. died from, like, impact slash drowning. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. There were no signs of sexual assault, but upon observing the body at the crime scene, Dennis realized that uh, Scott was discovered, like, fully clothed, but he had been redressed. Okay. His pants were still on, but his belt had been refastened backwards, and the zipper on his pants was left unzipped. Okay. So it was kind of like his pants were, like, on, just barely, and his belt was, like, cinching his pants, like, onto him, like, just holding them there. Okay. So Dennis was thinking that the killer was using the belt to keep the pants on the body until it hit the water. Okay. Where the impact and the current would likely cause the pants to come off as they had in Frankie's case. Yeah. They just didn't, he didn't float down the river because he got caught. But what the killer had intended did happen. Like the pants came off. Yeah. They didn't come off in Scott's case. They were still on him, but it was very obvious that there was some sort of like plan there yeah where yeah even just putting them on putting a belt on somebody else is like actually pretty hard to do because you're used to doing it like to the left but then you'd have to basically go to your right well and the belt was on backwards yeah so it was very obvious that like scott didn't do that no and his pants were undone yeah so again pretty obvious that like this was intentional yeah dennis didn't believe that it was a coincidence that frankie was left very close to where scott was picked up yeah and if it wasn't for him heading both investigations, Dennis, um, no one would have ever treated them as connected murders. No, not at all. Probably not. Never. Yeah. Um, but from the day Scott Leishman's body was found, Dennis was operating from the perspective that the same person was responsible for, for both of the river murders. Mm-hmm. Okay. London detective Bob Young, who had worked on the Frankie Jensen case before it was transferred over to Dennis Alsop at the OPP, was certain that Frankie's killer lived in very close proximity to Frankie's home on hazel ave okay he believed that frankie's parents could see his killer's house from their window and that the killer could see them he was like this person lives so close to you i'm sure of it you imagine like knowing and thinking that i know i know it's so how do you go about your day oh he wasn't the only one who believed this either dennis um through again remember that these um the forest city killer and murder city were were written not entirely but they were they had access to dennis alsop's like personal notes yeah that he kept on these cases right so what he's thinking connections he's making all this stuff so dennis's favorite suspect in the jensen and leishman murders is someone michael arntfield refers to as quote the neighbor okay in both murder city and the forest city killer michael arntfield and vanessa brown leave this man unnamed they just call him the neighbor out of respect for the Jensen family and their wishes. Okay. They both think that his name should be released and that um, he's like, he's dead now, but like that his body should be exhumed and they should test yeah. like, DNA. But um, I guess as far as the Jensen family at this point in time, like they don't want his okay. name released, but we'll, we'll go over him as a suspect. So this man um, was originally from Simcoe, Ontario. He moved to London in the mid-60s, taking up a job as a traveling salesman. Okay. 
He had a previous arrest for exposing himself to children, yeah. but like many before him, had gotten off basically with a warning and a slap, slap on the wrist. wrist yeah. Right. This is what put him on Dennis's list when he was running record checks for all of the males living in close proximity to Frankie's house. So this is before a database, right? This is before like computers. Yeah. So this is just like snail mail lists. Like, like finding the names of every single male that lives in Frankie's neighborhood and then cross-referencing for yeah. anyone that they have a record on. Yeah. And they don't have Penelope Cruz doing this. And, uh, I know. Right? Because I I, sometimes I'm, wait, I think about... Penelope Garcia. Why did... Oh my God, Penelope <laughs> Cruz is the actress. That's yeah, yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, I was Penelope like, Garcia. I was like, wait, wait, wait. But I know, even as I was saying it, I was like, this feels wrong, it's but I know it's Penelope. Both of their last names are like Spanish. Okay, and I just like, like, I only know like two Spanish last names apparently, where I'm just yeah. like, it's one of these two. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it's like, yeah. You, do, yeah, you did all of this manually. So yeah. he then Penelope came across Cruz. this man through his record checks and found that he had exposed himself to children and whatnot. Dennis was able to obtain a search warrant to search this man's house mm. and what they discovered is that he was a pedophile and an exhibitionist yeah. hiding in plain sight in an upper middle class suburban neighborhood <laughs> he owned a white sedan okay which had been thoroughly cleaned except for a single fine no. blonde hair <sighs> Other than being able to say that he was consistent in color and length with Frankie Jensen's hair, there was no DNA testing at this time. So there was just no way to confirm that. In the neighbor's home, they found a box of pink tissue paper. Okay. They found many copies of the London Free Press. Many copies. Yep. Following, like, the the stories. Yeah. Um, And confirming that he easily could have read the details about Jacqueline's murder. Yes. In the paper. And then got some tissue paper. Yeah. Upon seizing his work records from the Acme Steel Company. Yep. They could confirm that he had falsified many entries and customer visits in his work log that they found in his home on the day of February 9th. Okay. So this is pretty damning. Yeah. Uh, Follow-ups by Dennis to the addresses in, in the visit log or whatever confirm this. Like, none of the people had seen this man on that day or had been visited by him. Um, but he had many entries in that day. There was also, like, apparently it was kind of blizzardy that day. Okay. So it would be like, why so are you? So it was also, yeah. like, you're a traveling salesman. So it was, like, a kind of noted as a day that, like, you probably just wouldn't have gone to work anyways. No. Because it was too snowy out. Yeah. So why would you feel the need to, like, fake that you did? Yeah. You know? So, yeah. No other entries in his log for 1968 had been falsified just that day. Entries for the day Scott Leishman disappeared were not falsified. Um, But in Murder City, see, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about this. And maybe there's a detail that I'm missing. Michael Arnfield claims that the distance from where Scott was last seen alive and where his body was thrown over the bridge into Big Otter Creek was a matter of minutes. So it wouldn't have required him to have an alibi for the whole day. But, like, the distance from Thorndale to Port Burwell is about an hour. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe there's something missing as far as, like, the witness that saw Scott getting into a car and, like, where that happened. Yeah. Because there was, like, another thing that I read that said the witnesses claimed to have seen him hitchhiking along the county roads outside of London. Which could so be, like, that could have been close spans of so many kilometers. Yeah. I don't know. But it just, the records weren't falsified for the day of Scott Leishman, just for February 9th. Okay. 
Frankie was found about 30 to 40 minutes away from where he was taken. So like, it does make sense that maybe he would want to falsify records for that day. If he was the killer, um, to have like had an alibi, the neighbor, as we're calling him, was a traveling salesman peddling various items, including hand tools like hammers and wrenches. Mm-hmm. They were all found in his car and had recently all been cleaned. Okay. All of this, although obviously, like we said, a pretty damning. Yeah. Is technically nothing more than circumstantial evidence. Like, again, they didn't yeah. have DNA evidence back then. So Dennis couldn't really get him for more than anything other than, like, falsifying his work records. Yeah. At this point. And just being, like, a general weirdo. Yeah. But, like, yeah, unfortunately, you can't really toss anyone in jail for that. I know. And, like, I am I was reading all of this, and I was like, oh, my God, check, check, check. Like, yeah. holy shit. Like, How do you not nail this guy to the fucking wall? Like, but, like, what can you do, right? If you don't have him, he's not going to confess yeah. to anything. So... Dennis basically... I feel like... Okay, I feel like... Okay, I'm putting myself in the neighbor's position or, like, any killer's position where something like this is happening, where it is, like, check, check, check. We've got all of these things. I'm aware that the police are currently in my house investigating. I would be like, I give up! <laughs> like, I would literally be like, take me! I can't even handle this. Like, it would just be like... Yeah, it would just be like, oh, I'm I'd, I'd crack. Like, I just... I don't understand how, like... I know, but some of these people are really... You, the cool the confidence. Pressure. Yeah. Well, basically what happens is that um, Dennis's intentions are obviously to keep a very close eye on this guy. Yeah. Like, they searched his house, and it's not like, oh, we searched his house, we found nothing. Like, it's like, we searched his house, we found everything. Yeah. So the neighbor, very soon after this, voluntarily committed himself to the London Psychiatric Hospital. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Possibly... Uh, like some people speculated, like planting a pa- like a paper trail or some sort of evidence for a future NCR defense. Okay. Could yep. be. Yeah. He was released a few months later and Dennis tracked him to his hometown in Simcoe to question him. Okay. He tracked him down again later when he moved to Scarborough and questioned him another time. Mm-hmm. Soon after this questioning, the neighbor checked himself into the Clark Institute for Psychiatry. Okay. Dennis found that every time he tried to question this man through 1968 and 1969, he was met with avoidance, disappearance, or self-committal to a facility. (sighs) Dennis pleaded with his OPP colleagues in Toronto to keep tabs on this guy because he was now in Scarborough, right? Yeah. Um, When he was released from from the facility, but with them not like really having the same motivations and connections to these victims and their families that Dennis had. It's not a priority for them. Well, on top of their own massive caseloads to worry about. Yeah. They just didn't really have the, the resources or no. the interest to help Dennis out in that regard. So he, he yeah. said, please keep an eye on this guy. I think he was probably logically saying like, you should keep an eye on him for the sake of your own caseloads because yeah. he's probably going to add to them, but he's probably going to add to your list for sure. Yeah. But what can you do, right? Slip through, through the cracks in a way. Mm-hmm. Dennis still attempted to keep tabs on this guy, um, even from London when he was away in Toronto. Wow. But in 1973, he was sternly directed by his superintendent to cease and desist all surveillance on the neighbor. He was instructed to let it go. No, he was obviously not to something. <laughs> it's impossible to know how or, or, or why, but 
it is very possible that the neighbors somehow became aware that Dennis had been ordered to stop following him because a year later, a nine-year-old boy named Simon Wilson had vanished while walking to school. Guess who lived nearby? The neighbor. Mm-hmm. This was in Etobicoke. Um, his body was his body was never found. Simon Wilson. In 1975, five-year-old Tracy Bruni was dropped off outside of her school in Etobicoke, or as um, they called it in that one documentary, Etobicoke. Did you see that one about the? Oh, um, oh my God! Yeah, we that, watched that this together. Guy from um, Toronto. What the fuck is his name? What the fuck? Don't fuck with cats. Okay, that I didn't see it then. Oh, you haven't seen that? No, one? you told me about it, and that's why I remember. Yeah, because yeah. there's like web sleuths in the states that track him down. Yes, but, yes. So they don't know how to pronounce it. Trust me, like I understand. It, like, it doesn't forever. look like how it sounds no. when you say it. It does look like Etobicoke. It, it does look like Etobicoke. Yeah. But it's just funny when you grow up always knowing that it's Etobicoke, and yeah. then you see someone else, you hear them say it, and you're like Etobicoke. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Etobicoke. What the hell? Yeah. So, and it, for anyone who's wondering, it's it's Etobicoke. Yeah. Which we know is weird, considering the way it's spelled. But it's a Topico. Yeah. She, five-year-old Tracy Bruni was dropped off outside of her school in Etobicoke, oh near where the neighbor had resettled. And oh she disappeared. God. Her body was later found in Etobicoke Creek, seemingly thrown from a nearby bridge. Oh, my God. No signs of sexual assault. Her clothes had been taken off and rearranged. And her lunchbox and bag found discarded nearby. In 1981... Best friends Eric Larsfolk, who apparently looked very similar to Frankie Jensen, mm. um, and John McCormick, they were best friends, yeah. both vanished and have never been found. Oh, my God. The neighbor was coaching a minor league sports team near where they were last seen. Um, he's a pedophile. Mm-hmm. And he... Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. He's allowed to be around lots of children then. Yeah, you told me he's dead now, right? This guy's dead now. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Fuck him. Honestly. Dennis also, mm-hmm. through the rest of his working and retirement years, had to resign himself to the reality that the river murders may never be solved. The neighbor died in the late 2000s, and by the time DNA technology had reached a point where they could have actually tested the blonde hair found in his car, yeah. the hair was gone. Oh, just oh my god one of those many this is pieces. so frustrating like these are kids i know these are parents children like it's this just is like just back before dna testing was really like taking off or even invented it didn't seem important to carefully store these pieces of evidence right yeah well like you know what in in hindsight it's like yeah it's it's a little hair you don't really think Nope. But that's going to be like the make In or break. In 1968, they did not think anything of it guaranteed. There yeah. was maybe a handful of people on the force that were like, it's important to store this properly. Other people were probably like, I understand this procedure, but like if something happens, something happens, it's not yeah. going to be a big deal. And then yeah. out comes DNA testing and we're solving like, all these oh, cold fuck. cases. But the ones that don't have any evidence left. They're going to stay cold. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard. Ugh. It's really hard. You to picked the most frustrating cases. I mean, they picked me, Becky, they from did. London. Yeah, yeah. This so is your destiny to talk about it. This <laughs> isn't the last we will hear about the neighbor. As far as possible... Fuck this guy. Just possible where, whereabouts and things like that. I need to know why the family didn't want to identify him. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I guess the only thing I can think of is that maybe they just don't want any more publicity. 
Maybe they just don't want any more. Like, I, and you know what? I, you know, I totally like, can empathize with that. Knocking on their door and asking them questions. and Yeah. Or maybe they're happy to do it, but maybe they're just like, we're just never going to know. So what's the point in like exhuming a body and this and that and like dredging all this back up? Like maybe, but I, I'm not saying this is how I would feel. It's just maybe that's, everyone handles it differently. Yeah. And maybe they're just like, we just want to remember Frankie and, and, and it's, it's been so long. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. I want to know. I'm just like nail his ass to the wall. Yeah. Even though like not around, but still like it's still, it still closes things and gives overall closure. I mean, that's the like, thing is that, and we never know, maybe one day this person will be identified and this person will be, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like in Vanessa Brown's book, she's like, I know his name, but out of respect that Michael Arnfield has done and that, the Jensen family's asked, I will not release it. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I'm but I dig. know that these two people, these amazing authors, did a lot of digging for these books. Yeah. So I don't know the right people you'd have to talk Me, to. Me, I'm like, right, I'm going to dig. The right questions you'd have to ask, but it is. Well, you're best friends with Mike Armfield now, so like. Yeah, he's like my, my bro. <laughs> you guys go way back. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna, if like, he's listening, he's probably like. Uh, we're just hey, all like, cool yeah. like we're not matching capes yeah it's fucking awesome yes yeah. <laughs> yeah that's exactly it oh you're so you're supposed to get the cape Stop for your next year birthday but uh. is it gonna be a knitted cape <laughs> obviously yeah <laughs> <sighs> oh, fuck that was brutal i'm sorry yeah, you gotta stop doing this. I, you're cut it's, off. It's hard because like a lot of the bleeding London ones are, are kids. Kids. Yeah, a lot of them are are adult. women as well, but like 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 adult women. Um, but like a lot of them are kids, and it's just it's so sad. Like yeah. it's sad anyways. It's just like I don't know these little defenseless children. It's just. Yeah, it's kind of like when you talked about the hillside stranglers, and it's like, and then the two girls that are twelve and fourteen, you're like, oh, and it changes. Like it just like it does. It's like a like, different. I don't know how to explain it. It's just it, it's all horrible. It's just it makes it so much more. It's an extra layer of that horribleness. It's like kids, it's like hurting a puppy. Like it's just it's just it's different. Yeah. Like it really is, and there's no other way to explain it. I think that's just like people who aren't like horrifying murderers understand it, where anyone would understand. Like, yeah, I'd have no problem like punching you in the arm but if you told me to do it to a kid i'd be like well what the fuck like that's different like it's just different you don't want to punch either person but you really don't want to punch the kid like it's just different like it really is yeah fuck man yeah enough of you enough enough (laughs) ah i'm the worst but you do such a good job though but it's also like now i'm angry and i have to what like go to bed soon all angry (laughs) sorry Ah. And you know what? I mean, you never know. Things happen every day. And one day we could hear about Jacqueline Dunleavy or Frankie Jensen or Scott Lee yeah. and these cases being solved. So this is why we're talking about them because if anything is possible. Anything's possible, right? yeah. And bringing attention to them means that, that maybe more people will start looking and and consider things. Cool. And there are people still alive now that were alive back then. Yeah. That, like, yeah. Could have seen something, could have known something, right? And it's, be like, oh, you know what? Actually, I could solve this now. Yeah. So there's always hope. Okay. I'll remain hopeful for now. 
Okay, so you know what? Let's end on a good note. Then we're going to remain hopeful. Mm -hmm. So on that note, we really hope that you guys sign up to be super cool and join our cult of extremely awesome people who love true crime at www.patreon.com slash how to not get killed. And if you ever want to chat and connect with us, you can send us an email to how to not get killed at gmail.com. Or you can DM us or comment on our posts on Instagram at how to not get killed. And you can follow us on Twitter at H2NGK. You can also check out our website and shop our merch at www.howtonotgetkilled.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys. Keep it sleazy. See ya. Bye.